An epic regular season ends abruptly in heartache as the record-setting Boston Bruins can't get out of the first round, losing in overtime to the Panthers. Is this considered a colossal disappointment? The defending cup champion Colorado Avalanche are done. How about the Toronto Maple Leafs finally getting over the first round hump? But wait, another Game 7 is on deck tonight in Newark. Are you kidding? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Stanley Cup Playoffs. There's something to be said for championship DNA as Steph Curry's record 50-piece eliminates the upstart Kings and sets up a date with a familiar foe. And no more talking about the Memphis Grizzlies as I have a lot to uncover there. More than one month into the baseball season, I'll take a look across the diamond to see who's gotten off to a good start and who hasn't. There was plenty of wheeling and dealing throughout the NFL draft, and Lamar Jackson gets paid in Baltimore, but will it be the same song and dance on offense? It's a new day, new week, new month, but the same fiery, passionate sports talk from yours truly. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J Reels Podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review, I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour, where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it, and with that said, let's get it, the J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I got to call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Rose Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest I hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. May has arrived. The sports world continues to stay red hot. And rest assured, you know I'll provide more fire and fury to get you caught up on everything that's happening in the world of sports. As this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those that have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back. And what's going to be a big week to start off the month. I know one of the things that I say a lot here and pretty much when it comes to the societal vernacular in this day and age, when it comes to checking receipts, and Lord knows I love to say that from time to time on the podcast, but two weeks ago today when the Stanley Cup playoffs began, I previewed not only just the first round but what I expect here as we watch the chase to the Stanley Cup begin and it reigns true today. That based on what I said just a couple of weeks ago, when we break down the storylines heading into this opening round, and I went in this order, Boston and what they accomplished this regular season and not winning a Stanley Cup would be a major disappointment. Two of the Toronto Maple Leafs and them trying to get over the first round hump. 
And then lastly was the Wild Wild West. That possibly seven teams could go to a Stanley Cup. Maybe not win it, but at least represent the Western Conference in the final round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And I'll go in order because Boston is front and center at what happened last night in TD Garden. And for the Bruin fan, my former esteemed radio partner and cousin JD, I know his flag and everywhere in the New England area, their black and gold Boston Bruin, the classic B, is at half-mast today because what we saw last night, and not only that, think about this. The Bruins had a 3-1 series lead after winning the two road games in Florida. Coming back to Boston, knowing that they could have settled the score and moved on to the next round if they just would have won game five. All right, they didn't do so. That happens. Went back to Florida where I talked about on Thursday, knowing that they won the two games down in Florida, and it was no guarantee, of course, but you figured that the Bruins would right the ship, win a game six, come back home, and then wait to see who they're going to play in the next round. That wasn't the case. You had a wild game there Friday night with seven goals in the third period. The game was tied 5-5, and then the Panthers were not only able to get a goal late, but tack on an empty netter to bring the series back to Boston for a Game 7. And what you saw last night, and even before I get to that, you have to wonder, with a team that has been so successful this year, record-breaking as we've talked about pretty much since January, and knowing that your goaltender and most likely your Vezina Trophy winner for best goaltender in the sport and a one Linus Olmark, decidedly gets pulled and have backup Jeremy Swayman to try to save the day in a Game 7. If that wasn't a sign of panic from the start, then I don't know what was. And I get it, sometimes in the NHL, unlike football when it comes to, let's say, changing quarterbacks or even, let's say, for baseball, when you have your starting ace not perform and then you have to go in and pull him early to try to save the game and not really trust your instincts to let the game breathe and let your starter in for a couple more batters to see if he could gut the inning out. But for Swayman to be put in that position, and it's not as if he hasn't had a lot of time. What was he, 24-6-2 this year? So it's not as if he only played a handful of games. But I thought yesterday afternoon that putting in Swayman was one that you could possibly and arguably wonder if that was the right move or not. Now, as it was, they did fall into a 2-0 hole midway through the second period, and the first goal he gave up was not a good goal, and right away you probably thought, as well as the Bruin faithful, that they're going to slam Montgomery on talk radio, and it's not all Jeremy Swayman's fault, because he did have a 3-2 lead late into the third period, and I'll get to that in a second. But when you're down 2 nothing, and even though David Krejci gets the goal on the power play, the Bruins weren't crisp. I don't want to say they played tight, but they had a lot of chances where, one, for instance, they had a three-on-one where Patrice Bergeron just threw it into the middle of the ice in the Panther zone, and then it went back the other way. Now, mind you, just a couple of minutes after that, the Bruins did get the goal to make it 2-1. to one. And for whatever the reason, they just did not seem crisp. They didn't play with an extra pep in their step. I'm sure the moment at that time in the first period and even into the second, they got swallowed up there because they knew that if they were to lose this game, 
all the pundits, including yours truly, were going to slam him from coast to coast. But as it was, after the Krejci goal, and then early in the third period, as the Bruins get the equalizer and made it 2-2, and you thought to yourself, all right, now the Bruins could probably take off. Now the Panthers are on their heels. You would think that the Panthers, they're going to make a run at some point. But then you had the third goal by David Pasternak as he got the big rebound from Sergei Bobrovsky. And Bobrovsky played pretty decent, although that was a terrible rebound for Pasternak to have that right there in the high slot to hammer it home. And the next thing you thought, at 3-2, there was no way that the Bruins were going to lose this game. And then with about five minutes to go, you had a scenario where Dmitry Orlov hits the crossbar off of a shot and it made you think, oh, is that one that we would hope is not going to haunt us later on in the game? Granted that as you got later into the third period and now with the score still 3-2, to two, the extra man comes on for Florida. A lot of pressure deep into the Bruins zone. And then next thing you know, Brandon Montar, who scored the first goal of the game, gets the goal with 59 seconds left. In the third period, and you just knew that all the air was let out of the balloon at TD Garden. And that's not to say that the Panthers are going to go on and win, because even with a deflating goal like that, in your building, and knowing that you were just trying to hang on there to make sure that you could just close out that game, exhale, and then get on to the next round. But as it was, when you let up a goal like that, and even in overtime where David Pasternak got a shot on Barbrovsky in the first opening seconds... But when you saw Matthew Kachuk on a breakaway, if he had about 10 more feet, I think he would have had a better opportunity to have a, not only just a better look, but maybe even a better opportunity for him to score a goal there. But as it was, he got point blank there on Swayman. Then Carter Vergehi had a great opportunity there a little bit later in the period, in the extra frame where he got a shot off, but Swayman made a nice save. And then a couple of minutes after that, after a turnover where Vergehi was high in the slot to the left of Swayman, right at the top of the faceoff circle, where he was able to risk the shot past Swayman on a screen by Matthew Kachuk. And Swayman had no idea the puck was by him. He was playing low and it went right above his left shoulder. And then all you heard was the Florida bench just exalt as they raced onto the ice to pull off the major upset. And I don't want to hear how the Panthers, as feisty as they are, and yes, they have goal scoring, and they're a team that could play with anybody from the standpoint of having threats on the ice, having guys that you always have to keep an eye on, whether your name is Matt Kachuk, Carter Vergehi, even Alexander Barkov. They have guys who can put the puck in the net. And here it was. 65 regular season wins, 135 points, the most in NHL regular season history, and for them to have a 3-1 series lead, and to spit the bit the way they did in these final three games, there is absolutely zero excuse. There is no way to slice it. Dice it, I don't want to hear it. This season was an epic and colossal failure if you're a Boston Bruin. I've said it time after time after time, Not only just two weeks ago, but even all the other receipts prior to that. Even Brad Marchand in March said that if we don't win the cup, it doesn't matter. President's Trophy, number one seed, all-time records. uh Uh-uh. We have to raise that cup and be the last team standing. And as it was, they were out in the first round. That's as bad as it gets. And I don't want to hear anything from anyone, Bruin fan, players, 
organization, etc. When you have a season like this, and it's interesting, 16 years prior, the New England Patriots were 16-0 in the regular season and won the two playoff games before losing to the Giants in Super Bowl 42. Is that season even remembered? Not only in Boston, but just in sports history. And mind you, it's not as if the Bruins made it to a cup and let's say lost in a cup final. This is even worse. You couldn't even get out of the first round with a 3-1 series lead. So no matter how you paint this portrait, I am not going to be an apologist or really get myself to the point where it's like, you know what? They did have an epic season. It was fantastic. What a ride it was. Uh Uh-uh. That does not mean a damn thing here on May the 1st. So I don't know what more else could be said. I know we're going to move on to the next topic, which would be the Toronto Maple Leafs, but this is one that's going to stick forever. And we know about the President's Trophy winners of the regular season, how they really win Stanley Cups. In fact, now it's going to be 11 years where you had the 2012-2013 Blackhawks who were the President's Trophy winners that year and they beat the Boston Bruins in the Cup Final that year. And I don't know if it's a curse. This has been going on almost 40 years with this President's Trophy and we've seen a lot of them not win a Stanley Cup or even make it to the Cup Final. And here's another example of it. So I can continue to pound on the Bruins, but I won't. I'll just leave it at that because this is one spring and summer that is going to be super extra long and not knowing Patrice Bergeron as well as David Krejci, two of the mainstays on this team who are part of that 2011 cup winning team as well as the 2013 team, 2019, etc. But this is one that it is going to be just tough to recover. There's no other way to put it. So that was item number one as far as the storylines heading into this first round going back a couple of weeks ago. So now we could cross out the Bruins as far as this postseason puzzle. Number two of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Give it up. This is an organization, as I've said time after time, they've been trying to get over the hump for 19 years to get out of the first round. Heartache after heartache after heartache. Brutal losses. 3-1 series deficits that they've blown. A 3-2 series deficit as it was last year to the Tampa Bay Lightning. And when they lost there on Thursday night, in Toronto and it just made you think they have to get out of Tampa with a victory because there's no way that if they would have played a game seven which would have been tonight that whole city would have been on edge that team probably would have been dying on the inside knowing that if they did not win that game what's next will they ever even get out of a first round series even if they played a team that I consisted of or if I had Uh, A peewee hockey team would the Maple Leafs be able to beat. And as it was, although that the Lightning, who were down 1-0 and they got the goal there in the third period and it made you think, oh geez, it's probably going to go into overtime. And even though it's been successful for the Maple Leafs, considering that they won the two games in Tampa, both in overtime in games three and four. And then what happens? Four and a half minutes into overtime, A familiar face in these parts, a one John Tavares gets the goal and it was a weird goal as he was coming from behind the net and as he pivoted and swung around, it went off the skate of the defenseman of the Tampa Bay Lightning and into the net and the next thing you know, all of Toronto let out a, not only just a sigh, but saying hallelujah to the heavens knowing 
that the Maple Leafs were able to finally get over the hump. They were finally able to get to the top of that mountain. And it's not a mountain that may be big in the grand scheme of things, but for that organization, city, region, etc., they were able to overcome and slay the first-round dragon, and that even being the Tampa Bay Lightning, considering they lost to them last year. And here they are. They finally broke on through to the other side, seeing the second round and looking to say, wait a minute, are we actually here? Pinch us because we have not been here in almost two decades. And yes, they are there. And they're going to face the Florida Panthers here in the second round, which now makes you think, and I said this last week, when they were up 3-1, I wondered whether or not by them winning this series, was it going to catapult them to the point where, all right, all the pressure's off, not to say they're going to play the rest of this postseason with house money, But because that was such an obstacle and it took them, like I said, 19 years to get through that now maybe they can relax and not have to worry about trying to have that first round cloud hang over their heads. It was either going to be that or the possibility of now that they've made it, does the pressure mount even more knowing that yes, they could be hungry and they could be just on a roll to maybe get to a conference final in the Stanley Cup, but maybe now that the pressure mounts and because that was such a hurdle that they fall flat on their faces here in the second round. And that second round would have been a matchup with the Boston Bruins, but that's not going to be the case. So you wonder if there's going to be added pressure knowing that a team that beat the mighty Bruins and a team that was a heavy underdog coming into the series, you have a team that's going to have house money and the Florida Panthers that has everything to gain and not much to lose, and now that the boat is going to be in Toronto's favor, thinking that they may be the heavily favored team getting into the series, and now it just brings up a whole other set of encyclopedias to know that, oh, wait a minute, we understand they beat Boston, but now we have to beat this team. Is this just going to be even more pressure that's added to the plate? Well, guess what? This is the Stanley Cup playoffs, and it doesn't matter what team you face, there's going to be pressure regardless. But I will say this for the Maple Leafs. With that loss last night, it could possibly pave the way for a cup run here. And that's not to knock Florida or even the Rangers, Devils, or Carolina, whomever they may face in the conference final. But it is all mapped out. Because even if the Maple Leafs were going to play the Bruins, it would have been a scenario where the Maple Leafs would have been a slight underdog going into that series and probably no pressure to now more pressure playing against a team that just beat the Bruins and how they have everything to just shoot for the sun, moon, and stars where anything less than winning this series for the Maple Leafs could end up being an abject failure. But I think it does set them up nicely here because if they were able to get past this round, I think they're going to have their sights set on a Stanley Cup final. And I'll say that now. And then, lastly, you had the Wild Wild West. And boy, was it wild. Last night, the Colorado Avalanche were unable to seal the deal after losing a Game 5 in their building, going to the Pacific Northwest, and taking care of the Kraken to the tune of a 4-1 victory. And you thought, oh, I don't know if the Kraken are going to have it in them. Granted that they did win two games in Colorado, but can they win a third? And what happens... They get off to the 2-0 lead on both goals by Oliver Bjorkstrand. 
And then the Avalanche struck with a goal and then it looked like they were going to get the equalizer there in the third period where Nathan McKinnon had a goal but for the second time in the series it was disallowed because of replay and an offside. So a goal which was I believe four minutes into maybe even less than that into the third period where who knows what would have happened. The momentum certainly would have been on the Avalanche's side and even though the Kraken held on for dear life there at the end but the first time in the postseason Never happened in the history of the sport where you had a team who was playing in the Stanley Cup playoffs for the first time ever beating a defending Stanley Cup champion. And the one guy who you know is jumping up and down and I'm sure hasn't slept a wink because of just being elated, excited, you could throw in any adjective, is a one, Philippe Grubauer, the goaltender of the Seattle Kraken, who was once a Colorado Avalanche player and for him to go ahead and steal that game, and for the Kraken to steal that series, I'm sure it's going to go a long way for Seattle to maybe even see what they could do against the Dallas Stars here in this next round. And what more can you say for what Seattle has done? And for Colorado, you know it's things. But winning that cup last year, it at least mitigates that blow. But just knowing that you lost to a team that's for the first time in these parts, playing in the postseason. And how many times have I talked about this? Even going back to my NBA preview. Check those receipts. Here goes that model once again. How when you're a big underdog, how winning those odd number games are crucial in order to win series. As we saw there with the Florida Panthers, they won a game two, game five, and game seven in Boston. But in this case, for the Kraken, they won games one, five, and seven in Colorado. Now, chances are you win one game if you're a heavy underdog on the road. That is, I'm not going to say insurmountable, but that is an accomplishment in itself. But when you win two games to win a series, because you know that the road team, who is heavily favored, they're going to win a game in the opposing team's building. So, Chances are, even if you win the one and take care of home ice, that would be the simpler path in order to make the upset. But if you lose one game in your building, you have to win two on the road. And generally, it's going to be in those even number games because you want to get a leg up on the series the way Seattle did, unlike how Florida did. But then for them to not only have to win a game five, which they did after evening the series, but then losing game six at home and then winning game seven. Just a remarkable achievement by Seattle. And again, Colorado, I know they were banged up. A lot of injuries. Kale McCarr did not play in game four. Or excuse me, it was a game five because he knocked out Jared McCann who had not come back in the series and who knows if he is going to come back in the next round. But Colorado, again, winning a cup, I know that's going to lessen the blow. But this is, this is a tough out. I'm sorry. Injuries, I don't want to hear it. Everybody has injuries this time of year. And for them to not win this series, and I get it, they trailed 3-2 to two, and they were able to get themselves back home to a Game 7. But for them not to go ahead and prevail here, to put the Kraken out the pasture, not a good job. But you got to give credit to Seattle. When you win three road games in your first ever playoff series as a big underdog on the road, then guess what? You deserve it. So that's what we have there with the Wild Wild West. And other than that, 
when it comes to the West, I know Dallas took care of Minnesota there on Friday night. They got out to a 3 nothing lead and they cruised to a 4-1 win. So they will play the Seattle Kraken in the next round. The Oilers were able to take care of the Kings as they won a game six in LA. Thanks to Kyler Yamamoto getting the game winner there. And a big series for Leon Dreisaitl had seven goals in the series. But Edmonton, who had a little bit of a scare, they lost game one and game three. Again, there goes the underdog winning those key odd number games. Although game one was in Edmonton, so you want to win those games. But then Edmonton was able to take care of them from that point out, winning a big game four in overtime. And then, of course, the final two games as they move on to play the Vegas Golden Knights, who dispatched the Winnipeg Jets there last week in five. And then, back east, you have the Rangers and Devils, where the Devils looked like they were just going to steamroll in just dominating fashion after winning the two games in Madison Square Garden. They shut out the Rangers in a game number five in New Jersey, 4 nothing, and the Rangers, who were just dominant in those first two games, scoring 10 goals. The next three games, they only scored three, including getting a shutout there, Akira Schmid getting his first ever playoff shutout. And then in game number six, as the scene shifted to the garden, the Devils did themselves in with some sloppy play and penalties where the Rangers were able to capitalize even after a one nothing advantage by New Jersey early on. But the Rangers ended up winning 5-2. to two, And now it sets the stage for a game seven tonight in Newark. I don't want to say it's a coin flip. But I wonder with the goaltending advantage and the Rangers finally getting up off the deck, you wonder if it's going to be enough for them to win on the road here. And they've done so in the past. They won a Game 7 in Carolina last year, as we saw. They won a Game 7 at home in Pittsburgh. So they're familiar with this. The Devils, on the other hand, I'd be a little worried in that regard. And that's not to say they're not going to win or they can't win. But I could see this Ranger team, and I picked them to go to a Cup Final. I think they're going to find a way. If they don't, this would be a bitter loss because you can't go up two love and then lose three straight to win game six to get yourselves back to a do or die game seven and then all of a sudden, now if you lose a 3-2 overtime thriller, not that that makes it any easier, but at least you're in the game. But if the Devils do what they did in games three, four, and five against the Rangers, then you didn't deserve it. So now we're going to get to see tonight. I think the Rangers are going to win. I think they just have enough veteran leadership, the goaltender, like I mentioned, and the experience to play in these type of games where the Devils do not have this. I get it. They have a couple of players on their team, in particular, Andre Palat, who's had a very good series to date. Guy that played with Tampa, knows what it takes to win. I'm sure he's probably spreading that message throughout the locker room ever since they lost that game six a couple of nights ago at MSG. So we'll wait to see what's going to happen there tonight. And then lastly, my Islanders... Just a tough Game 6 loss in their building. Uh, what more can you say? They had a one nothing lead early. Then the Hurricanes got a goal. Sebastian Ajo, I've seen enough of him to last 20 lifetimes. I mean, that guy's just killed the Islanders, even going back to the regular season. He has just been unstoppable for them. And then you get to the overtime, where it boiled down to that one play. Adam Pellick, who was trying to clear the puck out of the zone, he was unable to do so. And then Paul Stasny, for whatever the reason, in a terrible angle, he was pretty much on the goal line to the left of Ilya Sorokin, and he just flicked the shot to the net. It hit off the inside pad of Sorokin and into the net as the Islanders were unable to get the overtime magic that they've had throughout their illustrious playoff career. Now, granted, there's been a lot of spurts in between where they haven't played, but 
The Islanders have had great success in overtimes when it comes to their history, especially at home, but they were unable to do so to push that series to a Game 7 as they lose 2-1. to one. The Hurricanes, who now move on to play the winner of the Devils and Rangers tonight, and just a tough loss. There isn't anything else that you could say if you're an Islander fan because you had a season where you made it on the last day of the regular season for them to get into the playoffs. You also have to thank the Chicago Blackhawks for beating the Penguins there on that Tuesday night, which catapulted the Islanders to win that final game against the Canadians. But all you could say is it was just a tough series and it's going to be a long offseason. And an offseason that has a lot, not only of free agents, and I'll get to that later on as far as in the spring and into the summer, but there's going to be a lot of changes and you're going to have to wonder whether or not that the Islanders are going to procure some talent to see if they could get themselves back to where they were a couple of years ago, meaning the conference finals and in back-to-back years when they did so. And by them not being able to push into a game seven and now the first round, not a major disappointment, unlike the teams I mentioned prior, but Definitely leaves you wanting more unfulfilled and let's see what Lou Lamorello and company are going to do because they're going to have to make some big time changes if they plan on chasing Lord's Stanley Cup. So to look ahead here for the next round, here's what I'll tell you. If the Devils win tonight, I'm going to pick the Devils in six. I just think for me, the speed... I know Carolina could attack you with four lines and they're very steady but not spectacular. But I think the Devils will be able to outlast the Hurricanes in a seven-game series. I'll pick them in six. And if the Rangers happen to win, I'm going to pick the Hurricanes in six. And the only reason why I say that is because I'm sure they're going to have short memories and they know that last year in that second round against the Rangers where... It was home ice throughout in the first six games, and then the Rangers just dominated that game seven. They jumped out to a 4 nothing lead before winning 6-2. So I'm sure that's going to stay fresh in their minds as they watch that tonight, knowing that if the Rangers do prevail, that's one thing that at least they could write on their bulletin board to say, hey boys, remember what happened last year in the second round? There's no way that we're going to let that happen again this year. So that's why I feel that if the Rangers do win tonight, I'm going to pick the Hurricanes in six. As far as Florida and Toronto, I know there's a lot of magic now with the Panthers and they certainly are going to play with a ton of house money. But if this isn't going to be the year for the Leafs to at least get themselves to a conference final and maybe a Stanley Cup final, then what year in the distant future is it going to be for them? I'm going to pick the Leafs also in six. I think this could go seven games. I think this is going to be a high scoring series. You have... Plenty of goal scoring abound. We know what the Leafs could bring. And obviously, as we discussed, we know what Florida also brings to the table. So this could be a seven-game shootout, but I'm going to pick Toronto in six. The Stars, with the way they're playing, they're also similar. I understand they got guys on their team, the Jamie Benz of the world and the Jason Robertsons, who have that firepower and the star power. I'm going to pick them also in six games. I can see them even winning in five. I know that this was... Maybe not a tall order, but this was a lot for Seattle to achieve and to get here. And who knows? Maybe there's going to be a letdown knowing that they dethroned the cup champion Avalanche. And now that they get to this round, the games are going to be bigger. The Stars, they know their way around the Stanley Cup playoffs. Remember, just a couple of years ago, they went to a cup final. Really, now it's three years ago, right? Nope, 2020. Yeah, actually, when you think about it. 
2020, when they played Tampa in the bubble, they, wow, to think, I almost thought it was two years ago, but that was Montreal and Tampa. But Dallas has been to a cup in the last few years, and Jake Edinger, the goaltender, is playing very well. So I would think that Dallas will take care of them in six. I wouldn't be surprised in five. And Edmonton and Vegas, this should be a fun series. We know what Vegas is capable of. Obviously, the Oilers, they have firepower throughout. I'm going to pick the Oilers in six. Can they win a game seven in Vegas? They can. And as we've seen here, home ice means nothing. And when we look at all these sports, home court, home ice, home field, it doesn't really matter. These teams had the capability to winning on the road. And yes, it'd be nice to have that game seven in your building, a thousand percent, but I can't even look at a game seven Vegas as a slam dunk to win a series and move on to a conference final. But I'm going to pick Edmonton in six. I think this team's going to be on a mission to get to a cup. They went to a conference final last year. And with McDavid, who's going to win a number, another MVP, and for him to get to that cup final and wanting to be amongst the pantheon of great players, especially at his stage of his career, he's what, 25, 26 years old, for him to get to that point and win the whole thing. Now, granted, he still has three more series to go, but I think that he's going to be on a quest to get to that cup final to see what that's like. So I'm going to pick Edmonton to win in six. All right, now let's turn our attention to the hardwood as I lace up my high tops and get into some NBA. And yes, there are a couple of things around the docket. Now that the first round is over, second round has begun, Phoenix and Denver. I'll touch on them real quick. First off, I picked the Suns in seven to win this series. Now I picked Phoenix to go to an NBA final. I think Denver has what it takes to get there. And if you're going to bank on Jamal Murray and his game one performance, 34 points, nine assists, six threes, and him being all the way back from the ACL that he tore a couple of years ago, this looks like it's going to be a hard-fought tooth-and-nail series that could go six, maybe seven games. I'm going to say the Suns prevail in seven, but I could see Denver winning the series. I'm not going to say easily, but I'm not going to be stupid to think that Denver isn't formidable, that they're not a team that could dispose of the Suns. But what you saw there Saturday night, if that's any indication of what's to expect there for Phoenix and how they're going to have to really clamp down on a one Jamal Murray and also have to deal with Nikola Jokic, who knows? This could be a tall order for a Suns team, but they're going to be heard from. I'm not going to be worried or concerned whether or not Phoenix is going to be in the series. Even if they're down 0-2 after a game number two tonight, I'm not going to look at that and say, oh, they have no shot or, oh boy, Phoenix, they're going to be lucky to get one game in their building or Denver, I don't see them winning a game in Phoenix. Uh Uh-uh. I'm not going to think that whatsoever. So I think that's going to be a long series. Uh, I can see Denver winning, but I'm going to pick the Suns in seven. But then you have yesterday, and I'll start there, with what Golden State did. And Friday night, they played a game that, for a team that has championship DNA, and of course, coming off of an NBA title last year, that was as bad as you could ever imagine. Knowing that the Kings were on the ropes after losing game number five in their building, and you just thought the coronation of Golden State winning a first-round series, and not to say it's a coronation, I know that's obviously a bit of a stretch considering what they've done here over the last eight years, but with everybody picking Sacramento, including yours truly, after that game Friday night, the one thing I thought of was, are the Warriors wounded? Will they be able to bounce back? And yes, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh no, they don't have the capability of doing that. I'd be stupid and just ignorant to think that. But it just made me, for a split second, think that Maybe Sacramento, knowing that they won this 
pivotal game for a young team that has no business to even pull out a game six considering this is their first foray into the postseason as a team and as an organization in a decade and a half. And by them winning that game, I thought to myself, you know what? Maybe Sacramento's going to pull this out. Now, I picked them to win in seven, so I couldn't divert from that pick. But of course, I knew that the Warriors were going to be a tough out here in a game seven. And even though Sacramento hung tough for a half, but you saw its beautiful head, as I mentioned last week, how the metal toughness and the DNA of a championship team was able to rise when need be, whether it was Kevon Looney with 21 rebounds, and it seemed like he got every rebound on the floor, 10 of them offensive, and then Steph Curry, listen, I'm going to nitpick a little bit. I understand he scored 50 points, a record in a game seven. All right, it's a first round, doesn't matter. He got the record, good for him. We know Steph Curry's achievements, his status in the NBA, etc. We get that. But he did do it on 38 shot attempts. So if you're going to shoot 38 shot attempts, to get 50 is not going to be hard at all, especially if you are Steph Curry. So if he did it in about 30, maybe 32, nah, maybe 32 is a little bit too much, but let's say if he did it in 30 attempts, it'd be a lot better or less spectacular. But 38 attempts, to me, it's a little bit too much, but nevertheless, he does have the record and good for him as they went going away 120 to 100. The Kings, obviously with a young team and just when you thought maybe they learned their lesson after losing game five in their building and then winning a game six, 118 to 99. It's not as if it was a nail biter. It's not as if that they pulled it out of their rear end, but for them to then turn around and lose the way they did, that's just typical of a young team that doesn't really know their whereabouts in a postseason. And hopefully they could take this experience and build off it for next year and years to come. And for the Warriors, they're going to face a very familiar foe. Maybe not the team, But the opponent that's now standing in the next round is a one LeBron James. And as we know, dating back to the 2015 to 18 stretch where the Cleveland Cavaliers faced off against the Golden State Warriors in those four straight championship rounds. And now you're going to have LeBron here in a second round and all the juicy storylines that are going to percolate from that as game one will kick off there tomorrow night out in San Francisco. And I'll talk about that in a second. And speaking of the Lakers... Give it up to them. Just a dominant performance at home in a game number six, which led to a 125-85 victory. And yes, give credit to the Lakers. They did what they had to do. They won the games they had to win. They took care of the Grizzlies, the team that, let's face it, they are a paper tiger. I don't want to hear from the Grizzlies anymore. I don't want to hear from any of their players. I know Dylan Brooks is a free agent. And I have a very interesting solution for the Grizzly team. And I know one that if you're driving, make sure you drive slow. Or if you're about to take a sip of something, make sure your throat is clear because I don't want you to gag or choke or do anything of that nature. But Dylan Brooks, if he's a free agent, if I'm the Grizzlies, no way. Let him sign somewhere else. Enough of his bluster, enough of his bravado. He brings nothing to the table. Yes, I understand he brings some intensity and defense. But besides that, He doesn't give you much offensively. He can't shoot. So I would say bye-bye to Dylan Brooks. Desmond Bain, who guaranteed after game five in beating the Lakers that yes, we're going to come back to Memphis for game seven. How did that turn out for him? And I understand you didn't have Brandon Clark and Steven Adams, but let's face it. Those guys aren't all NBA players. They're not guys that are, yes, they're glue guys and guys that you need on the team. 
but they're not guys that are going to take you over the hump. They're not guys that are going to come in and save the day, quote-unquote, or so to speak, as far as being that team leader or a guy that's going to galvanize the locker room to look for that guidance and to look for that experience. The one guy who's going to be a free agent, and he's still playing in these playoffs. And I'm not a fan of his. And I know he's not going to bring a lot as far as scoring, but he is going to bring you the defense. He's going to bring you rebounding, toughness, etc. But most importantly, as I said twice already and one more time, championship DNA, the perfect guy for that Grizzly team is Draymond Green. Now, we're not into the offseason as of yet. There's still plenty of rounds to go here in this NBA playoff, but if I'm the front office of the Memphis Grizzlies, that's one guy that I'm going to keep in the back of my mind. Because he's not going to provide, again, I understand he got 21 points in that game number 5 against the Kings, but that was an anomaly. But that is a guy that the Memphis Grizzlies need in the worst way. They need a guy that's going to take them, not only just to the next level, but to bring a sense of maturity, and I get it, Draymond Green could be a bad example based on the punch to Jordan Poole and all that. He is a hothead, he is, does have that chip on his shoulder being an underdog his whole life, but... The guy's a champion. The guy knows how to win. The guy knows how to maybe not lead, but if there's any guy that's going to turn to a man in that locker room, if they had a guy like Draymond Green, to me, that's the best guy. Because those type of guys do not grow on trees. You need a guy that's going to take you under your wing and show you how to win in key spots, in clutch spots, in big spots in the postseason. So I'm just going to leave it right there. And maybe that's a receipt we may check somewhere down the road. But anyway, with that being said, the Grizzlies, I don't want to hear from them anymore. They're a team that has a lot of success in the regular season. And here they are. They fizzle out in the postseason. Even John Morant. And give it up to him. And he knows he has a lot of work to do personally. But for him to say that not only I'm going to put the onus on me, but we lost our focus and my off-the-court doing was a distraction heading into this playoff If that was the case, then great. Keep the coach. I like Taylor Jenkins. But now, if they do get a couple of pieces in there to kind of turn the tables and maybe bring some maturity, bring some a little bit more of a better edge, a more mature edge, but more of a championship edge, then let's see where they could go from there. But other than that, they need to shake it up and not have those type of players where you know that they could have a 52-54 win season and think that they've won five titles and then come postseason, they know where to be found. So that's the scenario with the Grizzlies. But as far as the other rounds go, the Celtics had to sweat a little bit to close out the Hawks there in the game six. Ice Trey went ice cold as you went one for 13 in the second half after scoring 25 points in the first half. So that was a key contributor as to why the Celtics won. We know that Trey Young went off there in that game number five where he got the three over Jalen Brown, which put the series to a sixth game. But the Celtics were able to prevail and now they'll face the Philadelphia 76ers who were idle for now the last count of nine days. And it looks like you're not going to have a one Joel Embiid for game one, which is tonight. And then let's also get into the other Eastern series, which started yesterday between the Heat and Knicks before we talk Celtics and Sixers. So the Heat who... Came off of that crazy series against the Bucks, winning those two games in wild comeback fashion. And the Heat, who I thought 
would go into the series. I picked the Knicks to win in six, only because Tom Thibodeau is very familiar with Jimmy Butler, as we know from his days in Chicago, as well as Minnesota. And knowing that the Bucks were unable to make any adjustments on Butler, knowing that Thibodeau was going to put the focus on trying to stop Butler, because as we know, the Heat offense, other than Butler, and yes, of course they're going to get contributions, but they don't have guys on their team that you're really going to have to concern yourself with. I mean, really, Max Drews, an aging Kyle Lowry, who I get it. He's that type of guy who knows how to win and knows what it takes to win. But still, Kyle Lowry has been gimpy here over the last couple of years, as we've seen. The Gabe Vincent of the world. I know Bam Adebayo could give you a contribution, but he's not a guy that's going to want the ball or ask for the ball in a key spot. It is all going to be Jimmy Butler. So for the Knicks there yesterday, after that good first half, but then for whatever the reason, the Knicks game plan went up in smoke as the Heat were able to chip away. Jimmy Butler even turned his ankle late in the game to where he was pretty much rendered as a decoy. But... Kevin Love gave you a little bit of a contribution with his familiar baseball passes going back to his days with Minnesota. And when you get contributions from guys like Lowry and Butler, who did have, what, 25 points in the game, and the Heat were able to steal a game one. And as we talk about with a team that's not a big underdog, but you want to get that first game, especially if you're a road team, knowing that you do not have a plethora of offensive firepower and talent. And now that the Heat are in the driver's seat, puts a little bit of pressure on the Knicks to win a game two tomorrow. And without Julius Randle, who has his own ankle injury, and they're going to need Randle big time because Jalen Brunson, who called himself out in the post-game interview saying that I was bad, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, I need to do more, I should have stepped up, etc., etc. That's fine and dandy. But Randle, to go along with Brunson, and that's going to be pivotal in order for the Knicks to at least be successful in this series. So who knows if Randle's going to be available for game Two tomorrow night, but the one thing's for sure, after game two, game three is going to be on Friday. So you're going to have plenty of time off between now and then if you're Randall unable to go at it tomorrow night to be able to see what he could do over those next three days to get himself ready for game three, especially if the Knicks are down 0-2, having to go on the road over the weekend in South Beach. So that's what you have there with the Knicks and the Heat. As far as the other two series, Warriors and Lakers, you have Hall of Famers everywhere. And that's what you like about series like this. It's not only just LeBron and Steph, it's Anthony Davis, it's Klay Thompson. In my eyes, he's not a Hall of Famer, but Draymond Green's going to get in there one day. So you're going to have these teams that have just championship experience dripping everywhere. And yes, you would like to see this in a conference final, especially if there were a 1-2 and seed in the West, which would have been epic. But as it is, this could be epic. I'm going to pick the Warriors in seven only because, and I'm not even going to say home court. I think they dodged the missile here in this first round. I think that whatever they were able to overcome here, especially I'm sure they heard a lot from Friday to Sunday how this team was going to be left for dead, how Sacramento, the young legs, and even though they don't have the experience, we're going to be able to overcome considering that they won games one and two in that building. But I really truly feel that even though LeBron, AD, they're going to be raring to go here and they got a couple extra days off leading into the series. But they have a little bit more on offense and also a little bit more on defense. And we know that they're a terrible road team even though they won the back two games in Sacramento. But I think 
they have a little bit more of a better team, a little bit more cohesiveness, and what kind of consistency are you going to get on the Lakers side if your guys like Rui Hachimura, even Austin Reeves to a certain extent, yes, you know, AD and LeBron, maybe more so LeBron than AD because AD floats in and out of these games sometimes. So, and even Dennis Schrader who's an irrational confidence guy, but I think the Warriors are going to have just a little bit more and I think it's going to be a long series. I'm going to pick the Warriors to win in seven. And as far as the Celtics and Sixers, if Embiid's going to be out, how are the Sixers going to have a shot to win a series at all is beyond me. Now, if he's out for game one, let's see what's going to happen in game two, which will be Wednesday, and then game three will be Saturday in Philadelphia. But if there's going to be no Embiid, I can see the Celtics winning in five. But if Embiid's going to be in the lineup, and even 75% of Embiid, I understand, is 100% better than anybody else in the league. But he is 7'2". He is big. And if he's going to be laboring up and down that court from games two on, I don't know how much heart, toughness, and will Embiid's going to have here over the course of a long series, especially against a Celtic team that could throw bigs at him. Whether your name is Al Horford, Robert Williams, etc. I'm going to say just out of respect, I'm going to say Celtics in six. But if Embiid's not going to play or be ineffective, they're going to win in five games. Could it go seven? Unless Embiid all of a sudden got some stem cells where he's 150%. But I hope it's a throwback to the Celtics Sixers series of yesteryear. But if your best player is not going to be 100% and unless James Harden's going to be Back in the time machine to 2017-2018 as a member of the Rockets when he was averaging 35, 10, and 9. And even then, that Harden, I think, is long gone as far as that type of production. And we know Harden in big spots in the postseason has never delivered. So I'm going to pick Celtics there in five games. And I have to say... Although you had one game seven in the NBA and now three in the NHL, this has been probably one of the most interesting, most drama, even with the five-game series with the Bucks, and I get it, they got ousted, etc. But even those games were intense and went down to the wire. But you have definitely had a good first round for both of these series, or both of these sports, I should say. And now let's see what happens here in the second round as it's already begun in the NBA and the NHL will begin there tomorrow night. All right, now let me lace up my cleats and get to what's happening on the diamond in baseball as the first month of the season has concluded. And here's some of the takeaways that I have, the good and the bad when it comes to Major League Baseball. Of course, we know about the Rays' hot start. They've been the story so far, considering 23-6, and six, a team that I picked as an under this year. I went back to the well last year. I picked them as an under and one, and this year it looks like they're going to obliterate that based on their hot start. So what they've done here, and we all know that they have the pitching and the bullpen, excuse me, but their lineup, as we know, has been great. You can't even argue that. They start off their season with what, 21 straight games with a home run? So they have been the story so far in this opening part of this season, as well as the Pittsburgh Pirates. Who would have ever thought that the Pirates, after the first month, would be 20-9? and nine? And I talked about them last week, and I get it. They had a seven-game winning streak where they beat up on the Cardinals, who are having just an awful year for them. They're 10-19, and and they're one of the major disappointments. And I get it that their starting rotation is in shambles, but they certainly have not come close to what they've done here as far as the Central over the last decade or dozen years or so. 
So for them to get off to a nine games under 500, that is so unlike the Cardinals that it's not even funny. But the Pirates had that seven game winning streak when we talked about it on the podcast last week. But they also beat Colorado and Cincinnati along the way. And it's like, all right, well, they beat those guys. So what can they do against the Dodger team who they're not world beaters either, but we know the Dodgers are at least a class up from those other teams. And they beat them two out of three. And then over the weekend, the Pirates played Washington and they also beat them two out of three. So you got to beat the teams in front of you. I understand that, but kudos to the Pirates and even losing one of their best players in O'Neill Cruz, who's going to be out till August. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago. But give it up. Hopefully the pirate train will continue to go steaming down that NL Central track. How long remains to be seen. But let's see them do this for another month. Because as we all know, the barometer, usually for baseball, is when you get to Memorial Day. And to think, that is four weeks from today. So let's get to that point and see where the Pirates lay. Not to say that they're going to be, what, they're 11 games over. Not to say they're going to be 22 over 500 by that time. But hey, if they're 15... 16, 17 games over 500. Who knows? Maybe they'll be hanging around the 4th of July and maybe by the trade deadline later that month to maybe procure a player or two to see if they could not only stay in the division hunt, but maybe even for a wild card. So that's great to see in a sport that we all know has very little to no competitive balance. So those are a couple of the teams that to me, I look at maybe not so much Tampa because we know Tampa is very resourceful and we expect them to be near the top or at the top of the AL East as we've seen so far. But for Pittsburgh, let's hope that they can continue their success as they keep moving along. And also the Texas Rangers for that matter. Nobody thought they'd be 17-11 and 11, even with the improvements of their starting rotation. And yes, Jacob DeGrom now in the 15-day IL with that forearm tightness that he had against the Yankees there a couple of nights ago where he pitched three and two-thirds. He gave up a walk before giving up a hit and then he had a exit out of the game, and even though DeGrom, I'm frustrated, we want to take precaution, this is for the long term, but Met fans, we've seen this before, and we all know that if a healthy DeGrom is going to be there to pitch, you would hope 25 starts, maybe the Rangers will go a long way, and who knows, 15 day, that's going to be three starts, well, it is retroactive, so he's probably going to miss two starts, but still, you have to wonder whether or not With DeGrom, you have to hold your breath to see whether or not he's going to be in here for the long run in 2023. As far as the disappointments, the one, I also got to give it up to the Orioles, but the Orioles were expected to be good this year, but for them to be 10 over at 19-9, excellent start by them. As far as the disappointments, and listen, they've had injuries, and tons of them, especially to their starting rotation. They also lost Giancarlo Stanton to a hamstring four to six weeks, so you may not see him until Memorial Day. And then now this thing with Aaron Judge where after a slide, he hurt his hip and it's going to be evaluated as he's missed the last three games in Texas. Yankees are back in New York as they play the Guardians and then go to Tampa this week. And the Guardians, they've been floundering here a little bit as they're now two games on the 500. But we know they can pitch and I don't know what the pitching matchups are for this three-game set against the Yankees this week. But if they're not going to have Aaron Judge in the lineup and for whatever it's worth, this team... Here on May 1st is in last place. Now they're tied with the Red Sox in last place and they're a game over 500. But I'm sure if you're a Hal Steinbrenner and yes, you could point to the injuries and the starting rotation, understood 100%. But even with those injuries to be one over and losers of three straight series, you lost three out of four in Texas. You lost the series last weekend against Toronto. Two out of three, and then lost to the Twins 
two out of three, and regular season, four to three overall, which they never lose to the Twins, it's a little bit alarming. Granted, we're only in May 1st. I understand. It's not to say that the sky's falling in the Bronx, but that is a major disappointment just knowing that the team got off to a very good start. They won every series up until that Toronto series, and since then, they've bottomed out. So that's team number one. The other team, although they're playing a lot better now, but the San Diego Padres, and yes, I know they're in a division where right now you look at the standings, they're a game behind both Arizona and L.A., but the expectations going into this year, not only with the contracts that were given to Xander Bogarts as well as re-signing Manny Machado, but also Fernando Tatis Jr. coming back into the mix, which he's already done so. And for all of the pomp and circumstance after last year's postseason run to an NLCS, you would have thought that with the Dodgers taking a step back, in all likelihood not making a lot of big changes this offseason, and as we've seen so far, 16-13, and 13, even after this weekend, winning a series for the first time in a while, when you think about it, when they beat the Cardinals. But then again, St. Louis hasn't really beaten anybody this year. So let's see if the Dodgers right the ship. But I would think the Padres would have been in first place by now by a couple of games. Not to say that they had to be running away with it, but to me, they're a bit of a disappointment. I just mentioned the Cardinals, and I know that their starting pitching is in shambles, but they have done nothing here. And they may be facing a long season, and maybe they do. This is a team that a couple of years ago, they were on the fringe of making the postseason and they ran off 17 in a row to where they won a division and made it into the playoffs. But this may be their year where nothing's going to click. I get it that it's the central where anything can happen. You would think the Brewers are going to be steady at 18 and 10 and the Pirates may fall off. I know the Cubs have played pretty well a game over and the Reds, they were what, 3 and 13 to start their year and they've actually been respectable since then. But the Cardinals have just been an abomination this year. And who knows if they're going to get out of their own way here in 2023. Besides that, maybe even the Mariners, you can look at 12 and 16. Very slow start for them. Especially what they did last year in the postseason, beating Toronto. And then getting swept by Houston. But they haven't been able to find their way here in the early portion of their season. But they're not too far behind in the West. And we know Texas. Who knows if they're going to sustain any success, especially with DeGrom out of the lineup. You have the Angels who have also played pretty well and you know they're going to want to play well, especially if they're going to re-sign a one Shohei Otani. But that's what I have here in baseball so far. That, in a big nutshell, is your first month of the season. And of course, we'll continue to keep our eyes on baseball as we march on here into the month of May. Now, as far as the NFL, and I'm going to conclude with that, and I know I'm getting close to the hour or the top of it, and I don't want to waste any more time, but a couple of things I want to discuss. The first thing is Lamar Jackson, and I talked about this last Monday, whether Aaron Rodgers or Lamar Jackson would swallow the draft, because we probably would have thought that either going into the draft or maybe during the draft, that news would come out that the trade for Aaron Rodgers would have been made, as we saw that happen, what, last Tuesday? And then Lamar Jackson, early that Thursday before the draft kicked off in Kansas City, the five-year, $260 million deal, $185 million guaranteed for one Lamar Jackson as he will be under center for the Ravens and he'll have a target in one Odell Beckham Jr. And I'll get to that in a second. But the one thing I will say, and to some people and some murmurs in the industry when it comes to reporters or even prognosticators, They thought that it was premature to think that Jalen Hurts' deal was a building block for what Lamar Jackson got there in Baltimore. 
Well, I got to call like I see it. If Jalen Hurts did not get that money, who knows if Lamar Jackson would have been signed on the dotted line. And I think that that was an indication of Baltimore knowing that, well, they signed their quarterback and they believe he was still a year away from getting that big money. But they put all their chips in the middle of the table, the Eagles that is, to have them put all their trust, belief, and $179 million guaranteed to a guy who did it for one year. So the Ravens had no choice. Based on an MVP season in 2019, based on his electric ability and his dynamic of being a unicorn, a guy that could beat you with his arm and legs, more so with the legs and arm, and especially in big games. Let's call it as we see it. But for Jackson, he stays in Baltimore. Good for him. He got his money. Now there's added pressure. He's got to take this team to a Super Bowl. But how they do it, what is their offense going to look like, is the big question mark. Does John Harbaugh and company now revert to have more of a passing game to put more trust in Lamar's arm than his legs? They're going to have to do so. What is Beckham going to catch? 60 balls a year? And Beckham is coming off of an ACL. He did not play at all last year. And we would think he's going to be close to that guy that we all come to know and maybe like, dislike, love, hate, whatever you want to throw at him. But we can't expect the 2014-2015 Lamar when he's making the one-handed catches with the Giants to be that same guy here in Baltimore for 2023. But having a weapon like Beckham means that they're going to have to put a little bit more trust in Lamar Jackson as far as his arm goes. Why? Because what you saw in the last two years, him getting those two leg injuries, missing the final five games of the season, they're going to have to keep him upright. And the only way to keep him upright is to limit his possessions running the football. Because the more he runs the football, the more he's going to be prone to injuries. So they're going to have to tail the offense a little bit more to him passing and not just to Mark Andrews, the tight end, which is a safety blanket and security net to say the least. But at the same time, whether the thought of DeAndre Hopkins, which was rumored before the draft, him coming to Baltimore, or Odo Beckham Jr. being 100% knowing that he's going to want to have an all-pro season and catch 100 balls and have just a imprint on this team. Well, guess what? What is John Harbaugh and company going to do to change that offense in order for Lamar Jackson to make those type of splash plays in order for him to not only stay healthy, but to get Beckham the ball and to have a big season for them to maybe put themselves in a position to go to a Super Bowl. I get that's a story for another day, but that's something to keep in mind. As far as the draft, listen, I'm not going to go through all seven rounds, people. I'm trying to make this as tidy as possible when it comes to the draft. But we all know when we look back, we know that the Texans made a bold trade. Not only did they draft C.J. Stroud with their second pick, but they swapped with Arizona to move up to get Will Anderson, the outside linebacker, who's going to be a force in the NFL, you would think. And to have D'Amico Ryans, we understand, the former linebacker himself, defensive coordinator of the Niners. Not only does he have his quarterback in tow, but he has his game-wrecking pass rusher, so you know he's salivating at that. So Houston hit a grand slam there. Let's see how both of those players pan out. Also, the Eagles, because of Jalen Carter and his off-the-field issues back in January, his stock dropped down to nine. And not only just what happened off the field with the unfortunate incident, speeding, and the accident that killed a teammate and a staff member, but showing up at the combine nine pounds overweight, not being as fast or as fluid or... A lot of what the scouts would have thought could have been 
a number one overall pick. That dropped considerably considering that he showed up out of shape and maybe what happened there in January consumed him to the point where he wasn't as focused or wasn't as committed, which, hey, he has to own up to what took place there in January and that's going to stick with him. But the Eagles got him at number nine and to team him with Jordan Davis in the middle, who you have a just a wall that team's going to try to go through, which is going to be next to impossible. The Steelers moved up in the draft a couple of spots with New England to take Broderick Jones, the offensive tackle from Georgia, which they desperately needed to go along with an offensive line that has been, and I'm going to say this nicely, average, but he's going to anchor that line for not only Kenny Pickett's blind side, but you would think the run game for one Najee Harris, who if he had an offensive line, would be a top three running back in the league right now. That's all there is to it. I understand Derrick Henry and... Even when he's 100% healthy, a guy like Dalvin Cook. But Najee Harris, if he had any offensive line, I know that he would be definitely in the top three when it comes to guys who carry the football in the sport. But bringing him in was huge. And then they also drafted Joey Porter Jr. with the first pick of the second round. Remember, very shrewd move by Omar Khan, the GM, who takes over for the long-tenured GM, Kevin Colbert. But by them having that first pick of the second round, they draft the son of Joey Porter, of course, the famed steel linebacker of yesteryear. So a very good pick because they do need help at corner. They lose Cam Sutton this offseason. And also Terrell Edmonds, I understand he's a safety, but to bring in Joey Porter Jr. and also having Patrick Peterson to learn from on the team, that is going to be a huge boost for that kid. And hopefully they'll be able to groom this kid to be anything close to what Patrick Peterson is. So let's see what happens there. But other than that, you had Will Levis fall out of the first round. In fact, he was chosen right after Joey Porter Jr. by the Tennessee Titans. You had Hendon Hooker, the Tennessee quarterback, get drafted in the third round by the Detroit Lions. So you wonder if that's going to be a guy that may be in grooming once Jared Goff. And he's still young and he still has plenty of years left ahead of him. But for Hooker, who's coming off of an ACL, I'm sure this will be a great opportunity for him to learn what the NFL life is like and have the clipboard and the earpiece to see what he'll be able to do down the road if he does happen to be the next quarterback in waiting for Detroit. But again, I'm sure that's going to be a couple of years, and we'll have to wait and see whether Goff continues that success that he had there in Detroit, especially this past year, where they could have been a playoff team, and certainly ended their season on a high note by beating the Green Bay Packers, as we know they are on that Sunday night. Other players of note that were drafted here in the later rounds, Stetson Bennett, in the fourth round, was drafted by the Los Angeles Rams. So who knows if that's going to be another situation similar to Hendon Hooker. Could he be the next guy in waiting as far as a quarterback goes? And we know Stafford signed the big money there last year. So it's not as if Bennett is going to be threatening Stafford's job anytime soon. So that's one other quarterback that was taken. Another one in the later draft, actually in the next round in the fifth, The kid out of UCLA, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, the Browns took him, and we know Deshaun Watson is going to be in the mix there. Who knows what they're going to do with Thompson-Robinson. A lot of people thought that he could be a sleeper guy, one that a lot of people, although he played at a big program, but there were some people that thought that whomever takes him, that it could be the steal of the draft. I know that's a bit of a stretch, but there were a lot of people that were high on this kid. I don't know if he's going to get any playing time. I don't know if they're going to try to convert him. I don't think that's going to be the case. But 
if they needed a backup and they have it in a one Dorian Thompson Robinson, let's see what he'll be able to do, especially if Watson for at any point goes down with injury or if he could be a guy that could obviously lead a team to any type of success here in the NFL. And should I even get into who was the Mr. Irrelevant? I know we talk about that every year. I didn't really mention it last year. Mr. Irrelevant, as we well know, had a lot of playing time last year, and that was the one Brock Purdy. Remember him? Your Mr. Irrelevant of this draft is the one Dejon Johnson, a defensive end from Toledo. So let's see if he sticks with the Rams and makes a name for himself the way Brock Purdy did here in San Francisco. And then also Max Duggan, the TCU quarterback who I liked who played in the championship game, he was drafted in the seventh round by the Chargers. So we know Justin Herbert is going to be the guy there for at least a decade. But who knows? Maybe Duggan, he's not going to see the light of day, but maybe he'll get an opportunity throughout camp to impress and maybe stick on, if not with the Chargers, maybe with another team. But besides that, I know I mentioned Houston and Philadelphia. If you want to look at maybe stretches or teams that... I hate to get into the winners and losers of the draft because it's easy to forecast the day after or the weekend after as to who made out or who did not when it comes to the draft. And yes, we could talk about Houston and Philadelphia right now on paper, but for the teams that did not do well, I know the Jets with the Steelers drafting Jones and I'm sure they had their eye on him. And what did New England and Belichick do? They foiled him. And I'm sure that was a screw job by Belichick to know that, all right, well, Pittsburgh wants this offensive tackle. I don't want to have to deal with this kid over the next decade to go along with Aaron Rodgers and Garrett Wilson, Alan Lazard, etc. So he made that trade and they traded an outside linebacker who I know that when I was watching this, I even said to myself, wait, who, what, where? And listen, I follow college football a lot more than I have in my whole life over the last few years. But certainly, I am not one of those guys that's watching college football from noon to midnight every Saturday afternoon. But Will McDonald IV, Iowa State, I wouldn't know if he fell on me. So let's see what he does. And I know that that was, again, maybe a bit of a reach there for the Jets. But I'm sure they had to scramble to see who it is that they wanted to pick. And maybe that was the next guy on their board. Of course, they're not going to go with the corner, Christian Gonzalez, who's what New England did as they needed some cornerback help, as we know. But were there any other stretches here in this first round? Yes, of course, I also mentioned Philly. How could I forget Nolan Smith? That was the other thing I wanted to mention when I talked about these first round winners. Nolan Smith, another Georgia kid to go along with Jordan Davis. I mean, the team is Georgia North all of a sudden. So we've already talked about what the Eagles have done here. And other teams... Like I said, too early to tell. I'm not going to be one of those to sit there and say, oh, well, this is what we got here as far as surefire winners and losers of the draft. And we will obviously wait and see once these players get signed. But thankfully, training camp, and even though OTAs are upcoming, and then you have the mini camps in June, and then, of course, training camp in late July, which is now a little less than three months away. But let us hope that... Time between now and then, which we know will be here in the blink of an eye, but it goes slow through the hourglass of time. That'll do it, my good people. I know it's a little bit long, but when you have a lot going on in the NHL and NBA, it's going to take up a lot of this podcast. You know me, I like to do it in a tidy hour or maybe a smidge past that, but thanks for sticking with me. Thanks for hopping on board to listen to what it is that I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. 
Thank you so much for stopping by. Your participation is never, ever taken for granted. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on whatever podcast platform that you listen to. Throw me a few stars, write a review. I'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to hit me up on any of my social media accounts, you could do so at the following. On YouTube, at JReels. On Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and I promise, Instagram and TikTok, I'll ramp up my content there as well. But that is at the JReels Podcast. On Twitter, JReels1, just the number. And if you want to hit me up with a question, comment, or suggestion, you could do so. The JReels Podcast at gmail.com. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals. And then lastly, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page, P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy dot com slash the J Reels Podcast. Whatever you want to put forth goes 100% to this production, the upkeep of the website, the equipment, etc. To make this experience into the microphone through your earbuds or speakers that much more pleasurable, enjoyable, entertaining, informative, because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to talk about, people. Sports in the bloods and the DNA, as I like to say, each and every day, each and every podcast, each and every week, twice a week, for your edification. Because if you cannot tell by listening over the past hour and change to the passion, fire, fury, energy with my thoughts, opinions, analysis, critiques, praises, feelings on anything and everything that happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Center, the South Pacific, and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.